everybody. Welcome to Decomposition. Uh, this is the show where two music enthusiasts break down their favorite songs, uh, and we talk about lyrics, music theory, analysis, and just why we love the songs that we love. My name is Mernal. And I'm Anjali. And uh, this is our third episode. Uh, if you haven't listened to the first two, they're already out. We did one Taylor Swift song, one Fall Out Boy song, and today, Anjali, what are we doing? Today, we're doing a song by Hosier. And before we get into that, how are you doing? I'm good. Why? What does Hosier have to do with how I'm doing? Just want to make sure you know that I care about you before we start talking about the one man I've only, <laughs> the only man I've ever loved. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which is just, Hosier. We can just pan the camera that way. I'll you can take move. five. <laughs> this is just me and yeah. Hosier today. No, yeah, this is uh, about a song by Hosier. Uh, the love of my life. Um, his song is called Talk, <laughs> and it's on his second album, Wasteland Baby. And this whole album is kind of interesting from the point that it's about like apocalyptic kind of love. Uh, so he writes a lot of love songs, love themed songs, and uh, they're all different takes on those kinds of feelings. Um, and this one comes with the desperation and intensity of an apocalypse. Like, this whole album comes with that. But for this song specifically, he puts a bit of a twist on it that I find very interesting. So I think we should get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you think was your first impression when you heard this song? The riff that he plays is incredibly sexy. Mm-hmm. This song is a very uh, seductive sort of song. And then the lyrics kind of have an alternate meaning to it. And so the whole thing was just, I think, very intri- it was very interesting from a lyric standpoint for me because the music was giving me one theme and the lyrics were saying something else. Very interesting. So mm-hmm. for me, I loved the juxtaposition and it was just like a, a fascinating song from the start. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of like music, uh, what kind of moods were you kind of getting or themes were you getting from there? Um, very sensual moods. It, yeah, it has like, a, it has like a, a dark mood to it. It's yeah. like sexy, but has a dark side to it. And I like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, getting a new, can I get into the music theory on this one? Go ahead. So this is in the key of D minor. So when you have a minor key, you always end up with those dark sounds. That's like stereotypical. Um, so that kind of gives you that haunting noise, that impending doom kind of feeling. Like you mentioned, this is very apocalyptic. So I think it kind of fits into there. Um, this is also in Ionian mode, which means it's a D minor key. Everything revolves around the note of D. Right. So very straightforward um, compared to some of the other songs that we've done on this show. Um, and I think I was actually surprised when I started learning it for this episode, how straightforward it really was. Right. So we talked about first impressions. The first thing I noticed after, maybe I shouldn't say first thing, but I did a little bit of analysis and I looked at it and I was like, this is so much closer to like a poem than it is a song because um, the music one is very repetitive. It's very catchy. Like you mentioned the guitar riff being the first thing you notice. So absolutely, it's very catchy, but um, it's also very repetitive. And so it kind of sets the stage for what he's doing in the lyrics. And then if you just look at the lyrics, like... It's one verse, one chorus, one verse, one chorus. Very poem-like. There's no bridge. 
There's no like little build up section to the chorus. There's no musical breakdowns. So um, I think that was the first thing that kind of stood out was you create this haunting atmosphere, you create this repetitive guitar loop, and then you just put on all these really heavily metaphored lyrics on top of it. So very interesting song structure to start off. Um, looking at the guitar riff, uh, a lot of things that he does is he uses a lot of chromatic notes in here, which are notes that um, just are like if you were playing on it on a piano, you'd hit the keys in order. So it sounds like, and he does at different points in this uh, guitar riff. And what it creates is that sense of movement. So you are kind of walking up this scale with him. So if you do the whole riff together, it sounds like. things you have those uh, moments in there right yes so it helps you feel like you're walking towards something and then he hits another d and then he goes back into the riff so it creates this sense of a loop and you feel that loop and um that's why it doesn't sound um boring or repetitive when you listen to the song even though he's playing the same thing over and over is because he always creates a sense of uh so it's like um what's a what i think called? a ferris wheel the Ferris wheel, yeah. like waves, mm -hmm. just repetitive and seductive, and like you can lay a poem on top of it yeah. without getting bored. Or it's like um, for those of you who are fans of Family Guy, um, there's a scene where Peter rides a roller coaster that's just a single loop. Oh, so he, he rides it's like ah wee ah wee. So it kind of gives you that sense of feeling, right? You build this little chromatic. Doo -doo 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 when you're going up and then you just comes down and goes back into the loop again. So um, keeps you engaged throughout the song. I'm glad we're giving analogies that matter. Yes. Hosier to family guy. <laughs> I think there's a strong connection. That's there. why people listen to this show. <laughs> I don't know that they do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but All right. You get that loop going, right? Uh, the other thing that I'm an absolute sucker for is hammer pulls in a oh, uh, yeah. guitar riff. So those of you who don't know, a hammer pull is something like which he does a lot. Yes, um, he does. So, uh, especially when he's looping back in, it's... That's how he uh, ends his loop, right? Did um, you know that in an interview, Hosier said that he wasn't that good of, an, of a guitarist? Oh. Well. I think it's because he's such a good vocalist that he doesn't think his guitar skills compare. Yeah. I've actually heard that a lot of a lot of artists are like, no, I'm not that good, and everyone's like, but we all follow you. But it took me so long to learn cherry wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that in that time I got bored of the guitar hobby and quit. <laughs> like, yeah. I think you know it's one of the things I love about music, right? You can be yeah. so good at something, and then um, you say, oh, I'm not that good. Look at this guy, and then the only difference is like, there's just different techniques, right? Like if Hosier looks at someone like Slash, and it's like, I can't play like Slash but Hosier doesn't write music like Slash. So no. why would you play like Slash? You know, and Slash probably can't do what Hosier does, you know, so yeah, it's very interesting. They've mm -hmm. developed their art form for what they create. Like, yeah. it's very much a, a skill that they've perfected for themselves yeah. in their space. Yeah. yeah. The only one who sucks is me who's just playing other people's riffs on a podcast. 
but yeah. <laughs> Just a sellout. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so that's what creates this riff. Mm-hmm. Makes it so catchy, makes you want to loop and listen to this song um, and creates this very interesting backdrop for these vocals that get very, very heavy into um, metaphors and uh, starts right off the bat with them in Greek mythology. So, yeah. Yeah, I will get into that Greek mythology. So mm-hmm. first, um, the first verse, I think I'll read through it. Yeah. Then I'll explain the Greek myth behind it that he's referring to. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go back to the verse and we'll go through it in depth. Yeah. So he says, I'd be the voice that urged Orpheus when her body was found. I'd be the choiceless hope in grief that drove him underground. I'd be the dreadful need in the devotee that made him turn around. And I'd be the immediate forgiveness in Eurydice. Imagine being loved by me. Mm-hmm. So if we want to break this down, first we need to understand the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. Yeah. Orpheus is a character from Greek mythology. He is the son of Apollo and Calliope. Apollo is a god of sun, light, music, dance, and truth and prophecy. There's like a lot of representations, like with Greek mythology, everything stands for everything. But yeah. yeah. And then Calliope is a muse. She was known as the chief of all muses, and uh, her like characteristics were eloquence, epic poetry, and harmony of voice. Mm-hmm. And then Orpheus, being their son, uh, was a bard, a musician, prophet, and poet. Mm-hmm. He was one of the people who was with, I don't know if you read this when you were a kid, but Jason and the Argonauts or Jason and the Golden Fleece, like that mission, he was on that. Yeah. And uh, he was really good at playing a lyre. A lyre is like a harp. Think of it like that. Yeah, or another... I think it's called a lute. Technically. Yeah. It was a f- ancestor or forefather of a guitar, right? It's like, yeah, it's a stringed yeah. instrument. And, you know, they're all kind of related. But, yeah, it's yeah. like a lute, a lyre is closer to looking to a harp, in my mind, than a guitar. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. there's no neck. Oh, there's no neck. Okay. Yeah. Sure. He was really good at it. And so much so that people would be moved by it when he would play it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eurydice was his wife. So Orpheus falls in love with Eurydice. They get married. This is the actual myth part here. Um, Eurydice goes to hang out in the forest with the nymphs, as one does in a Greek myth. Mm-hmm. And nymphs, for uh, anyone who doesn't know, it's a female nature deity. So they just yeah. like run around in forests, and Eurydice goes off to do that. Yeah. Um, she gets bitten by a snake and dies. Um, that's at least one of the versions of this story. Um, so she's dead one way or another in any version of the story. She goes to the underworld, the realm of Hades. Mm-hmm. Orpheus is grief-stricken, and so he plays on his lyre. Nymphs t- who surround him are so like saddened by it that they tell him to go to the underworld to go barter with Hades to get her back. Hades is the god of death. So he goes to barter for his wife back, and uh, he plays for Hades on his lyre. Hades is so moved by the music, he says yes, but it's like a conditional yes. He says she will follow behind you, but you can't look back to check that she's there. Mm-hmm. So you have to walk out of this underworld, you have to cross the threshold, and if you manage to do that without looking back, then you have your wife back, okay? Yeah. On his way out, he's a few feet from the threshold uh, of the underworld, and he doubts that she's following him because he can't hear her footsteps. Mm-hmm. And 
so he's just like he loses that faith that Hades. He's like, oh, what if Hades was playing a trick on me or something? Yeah. So he turns around, and he sees Eurydice, and in that moment she vanishes back to the underworld. Mm-hmm. So because a person cannot enter the realm of Hades twice while alive, that was his last chance to get his wife. Yeah. He's really grief-stricken. Eventually he goes, he dies. He is reunited with her in the underworld. But yeah. this moment is what Hosier is talking about. Mm-hmm. So I just explained that whole story to you, and it took me a little bit of time, right? If you have four lines to give me the gravity of that situation, yeah. that is what Hosier puts into this first verse. He mm-hmm. says... I'd be the voice that urged Orpheus when her body was found. And so he's saying, I, I would be that voice, that nymph who told Orpheus that, hey, there's a way that you can go and like, get her. Mm-hmm. And, and think about that situation, right? Her body is found. Orpheus is full of grief. Everyone around him is sad because he's playing his lute. And you feel that love for someone who's grieving, and so you say, hey, what if you went and did this? You know, like, yeah. there's a way out of this. So this character who's saying I, uh, this narrator, is saying that I would love you so much that I would find options for you like this. I would help you find those solutions. The second line, I'd be the choiceless hope in grief that drove him underground. He has no choice but to try and get his wife back. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, if I say I'd be that choiceless hope in grief, that means I'd be trying anything for you. Yeah. And then I'd be the dreadful need in the devotee that made him turn around. This need in that de- devotee, why is it dreadful? It's because he's a devotee. He's abandoning his faith, though, because he's turning around to look. Mm-hmm. And so it's dreadful because you're abandoning something you have faith in for this woman that you love. Um, so this narrator is saying, I'd abandon my faith for you. Yeah. And I'd be the immediate forgiveness in Eurydice. So this is that moment where it's like, I would understand all your mistakes. Mm-hmm. I would have that unconditional love for you. Like the way Eurydice would have forgiven Orpheus yeah. for looking at her because she just loves him. Mm-hmm. And it says, imagine being loved by me. The power of that statement. I do all these four kinds of things, these desperate um, abandonment of faith, this any solution, anything I would do for you. That kind of love is what he's talking about here. And Mm -hmm. he's saying, imagine being loved by me. So you're hearing these four incredible statements of love. And then you're hearing kind of a bit of ego. Of imagine being loved by me. Yeah. I would feel all... I would make you feel these things. I would help you with anything. I would abandon things for you. Imagine that. And I love how um, he covers all sides of the the myth. In the sense that he does it from... He'd be the desperation that Orpheus feels. He'd be the love that Orpheus feels. The forgiveness Eurydice feels. It's not like... Like typically I would see if someone's like mentioning... A Greek myth, they put themselves as one of the characters, right? Yes. But he doesn't do that here. He says, this whole situation, I'd be all of it. Yeah. And then, of course, ending with, imagine being loved by me is a great ending line. Yeah. 
every example of love in this story, he is all of those. He said, I'd be all of it. I'm all of that, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine being loved by me. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that paired with that sultry little guitar riff that we know underlies this whole thing yeah has a bit of seduction to it because mm-hmm. it's like this is the kind of love that i'm willing to offer you yeah isn't that so cool of me mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and so i think that those four lines to give me the that uh, to build up to that moment where orpheus looks at eurydice and the the forgiveness he immediately gets yeah even though he'll never forgive himself for it like that was incredible writing mm-hmm. 10 out of 10 <laughs> yeah. yeah and then um if we talk about just how he wrote this here one um rhyme scheme very straightforward right he rounds rhymes uh body was found choices underground and then the next line devotee uh turn around yes sorry, go ahead. and then um devotee eurydice imagine being loved by me yes so very straightforward rhyme scheme uh which again lends its side to like i can totally imagine he wrote a poem and then decided to put some music behind it yeah if i can read it out again i think you should listen to the moments where there's a lot of o sounds and a lot of e sounds mm-hmm. so uh and and like so that's assonance um the, yeah. when you use vowels uh, repetitively so i'd be the voice that urged orpheus when her body was found i'd be the choiceless hope in grief that drove him underground i'd be the dreadful need in the devotee that made him turn around mm-hmm. and i'd be the immediate forgiveness in eurydice imagine being loved by me I think that that gives it that nice continuation, like the yeah. the beats on which he hits those vowels, I think really help keep it sounding like a poem, mm-hmm. like you said, more than a song. Yeah, the meter is really strong. Very strong, yes. And when you just did it right there, I just noticed that he starts with these O sounds, like you said, right? But he throws in grief in the middle of the line. So the middle line is, um, I'd be choiceless hope in grief that drove him underground. He's throws in grief right before the last O sound in underground. Mm-hmm. And then the next portion is all E sounds, which is similar to grief. Mm-hmm. So he really like interlocks the two sounds there. I just noticed that. Exactly. That was cool. He starts out with more O sounds. It ends yeah. up with E sounds. And then that flows well into the Eurydice and being loved by me, mm-hmm. which is a great way to like take you out of that verse and into the next, yeah. into the chorus. Yeah. So that was uh, an incredible first verse. So we're trying to figure out the motivations of this character, right? The one singing, Imagine mm-hmm. Being Loved by Me. Because we're hearing a lot of statements of love. We're also hearing a lot of ego. Um, then the chorus takes a bit of a turn. It says, I won't deny I've got in my mind now all the things I would do. So I try to talk refined for fear that you find out how I'm imagining you. Mm-hmm. So when he says this, this is very different from the first verse. He has abandoned all these beautiful novel concepts. He's yeah. saying, it sounds like there's a little bit of truth here now. Because mm-hmm. he says, I won't deny now that what I've got in my mind now, all the things I would do. So I try to talk refined for fear that you find out how I'm imagining you. This yeah. is him saying that there's more on my mind here than mm-hmm. what I am saying. And when he says, so I try to talk refined, that line doesn't work. In my mind, when I first heard that line, it was like, 
you just said all these lofty things. Mm-hmm. You used words like Eurydice. I'm sorry, that's pretty. I know it's a name. Yeah. But it's like a lot of syllables. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're saying like, try to talk refined. I'm like, that doesn't sound correct to me. Why doesn't it sound correct? Because oh, do you want to say? Yeah. So I had the same thought, Go right? Ahead. And um, I noticed why does it, I thought it was funny. He's like, I'll try to talk refined, but you just wrote a whole thing, right? Like you were saying. Um, <clears throat> but I'm guessing. This is where he's trying to drop the sexual innuendo or the tension the whole time, right? That's what he means by refined. For fear how I'm uh, imagining you. Do you say are you saying dropping like he's dropping a mask kind of a thing? Or, or are you saying he's, like he's hiding it hiding it, right? Like um, he doesn't want the object of his affection to find out how yes. he's imagining, right? That's correct. So that's why he's saying I'm trying to talk refined. Yeah. You know? Um, saying that He's not going to say everything he just said, right? Exactly. Yeah. And the other, uh, if you look at this grammatically, mm-hmm. uh, the word talk is wrong here. You should say speak. I tried to speak. And then you also say, like, speak is the mo- more formal mm-hmm. way to say talk. Yeah. Because when you say talk, you're indicating um, maybe multiple people. So mm-hmm. we, when I say we talk, yeah. it means both of us are talking, right? Uh, but I personally, I speak. Yeah. Because that's what I'm doing. So he's saying, I tried to speak and then refined. Refined is an adverb. He's using it like that. An adverb being, if you don't remember from elementary school, yeah. uh, adverb is when you apply an adjective to a verb. Mm-hmm. So refined is defining how you are talking. Yeah. The actual correct adverb form of refined is refinedly really that sounds weird it sounds better than refined so i try to speak refinedly would actually make more grammatical sense here than i try to talk refined Mm -hmm. so he has dropped this mask he's had on for the first verse and he's saying i'm trying to talk refined Mm -hmm. which you hear now is a little bit more like uh it's more straightforward there's more slang in this so this takes us back to the title, which is Talk, mm-hmm. uh, the title of the song. And talk, uh, if you use it in a certain way, can mean sp- like speaking between yeah. people. It can also mean a bunch of fluff. Mm-hmm. Like that's, a, that's a whole lot of talk, but where's the action? Yeah. So talk kind of gets that duplicitous meaning here. Mm-hmm. And uh, we find that our narrator is actually putting up a front a seductive front and like you said so eloquently trying to keep that away from his the object of his affections yeah i think also um it works in a mechanical sense because when he says speak refinedly i don't think the rhyme scheme works so um when you say talk refined you've got those sounds um the first line is i won't deny i've got in my mind so that matches um the the vowel sounds when you say talk refined so talk matches got and refined matches mind so it works yeah. in, the, in the in a writing sense also yes yeah. yeah it does um the other thing i really like about this course is how he ends it um how how i'm imagining you yeah um he both sings and you hear in the guitar the it goes um imagine 
when you have the vocal line and the guitar line match like that, I like it puts a little bow on the little section. You're like, this little book closes. This little poem is over. Uh, those two lines are matched. So um, it closes that little section. And then he goes on to the next uh, verse. Or, yeah, next, I should say stanza. This is more like a poem. But I like how it really kind of splits the two sections of the song. Yes. Where you have this little mini little ending because you've matched everything. Right. Also, if you need any further proof that it is a less refined way of speaking in this chorus, mm-hmm. he doesn't say imagining you. He says imagining yeah. you. Yeah, cuts uh, off the G. He cuts off the G. So we are seeing this um, sort of truth in this chorus. And this is why in that first impression that I had of the song, I was like, ooh, this is such a beautiful love song kind of a thing. And then mm-hmm. I loved the twist in the chorus because then you're like, oh, hold on. Something yeah. weird is going on here. And I like that, uh, that complexity that he puts in this song. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's go a little bit more into the music theory of this. So yeah. in the first verse, the whole thing sounds like, it just sounds like guitar to me, like as far as instruments go. And uh, he is doing a little bit of a, I'd be the voice that urged Orpheus when her body was found. And then he has... A chorus behind him saying, hey, yeah. Um, yeah. If I can sing that real quick. I'd be the voice that urged Orpheus when her body was found. Hey, yeah. I'd be the choiceless hope and grief that drove him underground. Hey, like that yeah so between every line there's a hey yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, until and then even in the chorus he has a hey yeah come in yeah so it's a bit of a call and answer which to me reminds me of like churches where they sing there's a choir going yeah yeah. answering the way those hey yeah sound too it's not just his voice right there's a a whole bunch of voices it's a chorus of voices so it sounds very much like a church choir i think he has like seven or eight people in his band okay so they all do the vocals too okay nice Yeah. yeah yeah So, so he is saying the line they are answering. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Wait. oh, his voice isn't in the heya. Not in these. Oh, okay. That will change in the second verse, and I'll get into that. Okay. But yeah. I, but for now, it is a call and answer, which is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so he has a lot of experience singing in church choirs, actually. When he was a little boy, he used to sing in choirs. Okay. So there's always like a, a, an interesting religious influence to his music. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has cited African-American churches as a primary influence on him in which there is a lot of music and a lot of call and answer as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, in the production of this, so he uses a lot of echoey sounds, a lot of reverb, um, which generally in the voice of an audience invokes that church kind of feeling because, you know, churches are these big hauled buildings and you can hear the voices bounce back when you're singing. So you hear it kind of on the production of the track too. Yeah, exactly. So he, mm-hmm. yeah, he uses like those little ooh sounds in the background too, right? Like there's more than the hey yas. Like yeah, so yeah. starting from the chorus onward, he has more vocals in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, there's a lot of influence. You, the, their influence is very clear from the church. Yeah, um, you can also hear um, in organ when he starts the chorus. Yes. So uh, that's very church sounding as well. You know, the church organ being a thing that's used commonly. Right. So um, it's not playing very much. I think it's the same chords as the guitar plays. It's something like. 
Um, so it's very simple, but mm-hmm. just having that instrumentation there is uh, very nice. Right. Uh, and I think he said in an interview that for Wasteland Baby, he uh, an, an organist joined the band. Oh, okay. So then I think that might be why there's more of that feeling in mm-hmm. this album, um, because I didn't hear it in the first album in the yeah. other songs. So yeah, the first album was very very guitar driven. It was very guitar driven. Yes. Yeah, this one's a little bit more. Yeah, and it's a very cool like sound. It very it very much fills it out. Yeah. That plus the chorus. Also, the uh, percussion used in this, there's not really a drum set, but it's more like stomps and claps and yeah. like things you just regular people could do without an instrument. Yeah, and that's because he's more of a folk music background where he like uses uh, more like people's bodies like clapping, stomping, snapping yeah. to try and get that beat out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this, this whole song is an exercise in how simple ingredients can make a great song. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Shall we uh, look at the second verse here? Yes, we should. Yeah, so for the second verse, we're leaving the Greek mythology at this point. Uh, we're going into more of a biblical apocalypse. And this is what's interesting about that organ, the more choir elements being brought in in the uh, chorus, mm-hmm. because now really gives you more of those sort of church vibes. So you really get to the biblical apocalypse meaning in these lyrics. So let me read out that second verse. I'd be the last shred of truth in the lost myth of true love. I'd be the sweet feeling of release mankind now dreams of. That's found in the last witness before the wave hits, marveling at God, before he feels alone one final time and marries the sea. Imagine being loved by me. So the first line, I'd be the last shred of truth in the lost myth of true love. Now, if we think about what is, if we break this down into the lost myth of true love, what is that? I kind of had to Google this because I don't really, I didn't know initially what he was talking about. But I found this uh, quote from social psychologist Jonathan Haidt, who Uh, talked about the contemporary like look of true love uh, and he says true love is passionate love that never fades if you are in true love you should marry that person if that love ends you should leave that person because it was not true love and if you can find the right person you will have true love forever so when we say it's a myth of true love it's kind of this fact that we're it's something you're always chasing and you're yet you're always doubting Mm-hmm. Because, like, if that doesn't work out, if you, let's say, divorce or something like that, oh, I guess it wasn't true love, right? How do you know what true love is? Mm-hmm. And it's hard to pin down. It is a bit of a myth because it is always conditional. Uh, love is always conditional. Yeah. And, uh, unless so, you have a dog. Unless you have a dog or a cat. No, unless you have a dog. No, you're right. The cat is conditional. <laughs> unless you have a dog. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so this this myth of true love that we're all chasing, right? Mm-hmm. He's calling it a myth, but he's saying, I'd be that last shred of truth in it. Yeah. I would be true love like you're, for you, mm-hmm. which is, a, again, the ego, the audacity, the toxicity. I'm in love. Yeah. <laughs> this is beautiful writing. I'm sorry. Uh, and then uh, with the next line uh before you move on Go i ahead. also looked yeah. at uh this this line um i didn't do any googling but i was like the f- the thing that struck me was the ego i thought he was just saying true myth doesn't is a myth 
True. Except for, sorry, true love is a myth, except for me. I just thought that was a... It, it is basically saying that, yes. Yeah. But I, I also wanted to look at it more as, like, what's the mythology he's talking about here? Like, exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, that is that is very true. Yeah. So, and, um, like uh, like we said, the, the chorus is a little bit different, right? But if you look at the last verse, the last line was, imagine being loved by me. It's not like he was short on any ego. So, <laughs> no, um, never. putting this line in right at the beginning of the next verse, I was like, okay, he's still on this. He's still on this. Yeah, we're still proclaiming love in lofty ways and mm-hmm. i love that then he starts getting into this really interesting thing next few lines were like a little bit harder to piece together right so he mm-hmm. says i'd be the sweet feeling of release mankind now dreams of so what is this sweet release that mankind is dreaming of well it makes you think with the e sounds the sweet feeling of release it mm-hmm. brings me back to the line of the dreadful need and the devotee Oh, yeah. So it actually makes me think of, like, death for the sake of faith. Like, this uh, sweet feeling of release. Like, when you die, like, this kind of heaven that you're expecting and anticipating. And he's saying, I'd be the sweet feeling of release. So I would be the reward that you get, that that mankind wants. Mm-hmm. I'm that reward. The ego. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like everything you've ever been craving is me. I'd be that feeling. Exactly. Right? Like, sweet feeling of release is, you know, um, it could be as varied as, like, that when you're feeling, oh, I need this specific food for lunch versus sure. I've been trying to f- satisfy my life's devotion by, I don't know, let's say you're an athlete, by winning your championship, mm-hmm. right? To finding the person you've ever meant to be with, right? That, it's the reward. The, yeah. It's reaching some high pinnacle. Right. Exactly. It's everything you worked for. Yeah. And it's everything mankind worked for. I'm that. That's what, like, mm-hmm. if you think about it, he's saying it's on a greater level. He's not even just talking about the object of his affection. He's talking about for all of mankind, I'm that level of reward. Oh, okay. I kind of took that as um, when he says mankind now dreams of, he's like, everybody dreams of this. That, yeah, even you that. Know, any not way like you as interpret a, it. Not like really, as like a collective mankind, as like an every person in mankind has some kind of dream like this. But yeah, I'd be all of it. That also yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, one way or another, there's audacity in this statement. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm, I love how toxic it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then he says, so if we continue that, like, I'd be the sweet feeling of release mankind now dreams of that's found in the last witness before the wave hits marveling at god now we get into a little bit of the christian mythology of the flood and noah's ark kind of a thing so we're seeing the last witness before the wave hits so uh, god makes this flood it's supposed to wipe out everyone on earth the last witness so everyone else has died yeah okay you're that last man not specifically noah because noah was spared right yeah but you're the you're the last witness before the wave hits so you're going to die mm-hmm. and in that moment of destruction death around you you are marveling at god so what that is is he's like it's sort of similar like you're in awe of something you're loving something as it destroys you mm-hmm. which is like toxic as hell you're in love as you're drowned you're still in love this man is still in love so uh it's this feeling of love that's what i am that 
kind of like well, you're still gonna love me even as i destroy you yeah the the depth and the intensity of that love is really kind of what he's trying to communicate here I guess. right yeah and then it, it continues into before he feels alone one final time and marries the sea mm-hmm. marrying the sea being drowning and dying yeah. Before he feels alone one final time. So it's like this person, this man is di- has died, but is still so in love with this destruction and destruction in love. Mm-hmm. And then this narrator is saying, I'm going to be that. Like, I'm going to be the reason that you feel that love mm-hmm. as I destroy you. Yeah. Imagine being loved by me. So it's not, not going to be a healthy relationship. Yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. then we go from that back into that chorus. I won't deny yeah. what I've got in my mind now. And he says, all the things I would do, I would... Uh, sorry. I won't deny I've got in my mind now all the things I would do. So I try to talk refined for fear that you find out how I'm imagining you. It changes a little bit the second time he repeats it. I won't deny I've got in my mind now all the things we could do. So I tried to talk refined for fear that you find out how I'm imagining you. Oh, okay. And then he plays his riff out to the end. Yeah. So like you said, there's not really a bridge. Yeah, this is the ending right That's, here. This is it. Yeah, basically two stanzas and um, separated by this repeated line. Right. Yeah. So again, the, those, those chorus, the, sorry, the chorus, the organ, everything that he brought in in, that, in the first repeating of the chorus, mm-hmm. plays through that second verse and helps build this image of this biblical apocalypse yeah and tying it in with feelings of love is a very interesting way of like carrying on the theme that is like present throughout this album mm-hmm. yeah okay and um before we leave the second verse uh i'd like to go back to that call and answer mm-hmm. that he does with the hey yas um in this one he does like the the same I'd be the last shred of truth and the lost myth of true love. And then he goes, hey, ya in the back. And then in the second one where he says, I'd be the sweet feeling of release mankind now dreams of. This is the only time where Hosier chimes in and he says, hey, ya," And he sings it in a different key. Oh. Yeah. So everyone else is going like, hey, ya," And he's going, hey, ya." Like, mm-hmm. he's giving this, like, alternate note thing yeah, to kind of juxtapose it. and It's a counter-melody, is what it's called. Thank you. Yeah. A counter-melody. And um, then he, for this next line, he says, that's found in the last witness before the wave hits, marveling at God. The heya sung by the chorus is the longest heya of this entire song. The different lines? Oh. Yeah. yeah. So, like, that one is, like, an even longer one. Mm-hmm. Hey. I don't know the exact significance of it, but it brings a little more interest into the second verse than the first verse. Yeah. And, I like, think, builds the chorus up. Yeah, probably just to, you know, keep the listener engaged. You know, you can have a little bit of variation like that. Just, it doesn't really register when you're listening. You're like, oh, it's the same song, but that little variation keeps you um, engaged and listening. Yeah. yeah. And it's fun when you're singing it to sing all the parts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's me trying to fit yeah. all the hey in with the lines. Yeah. yeah. That's why artists do these harmonies, right? They want their listeners to find all these little parts you can sing. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's got me hooked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, also, if we can address the uh, another way to look at the second verse, we talked about sexual innuendo, right? 
I kind of felt like this second verse was kind of, it was all talking about oral sex, wasn't it? <laughs> that was his whole point in the second verse. Um, the sweet feeling of release is orgasm. Yeah, no. And the flood he's referring to is the... I get it. Yeah. Wow. No, you. but the thing is, with Hosier, you're right still. Yeah. So he will talk about all these interesting religious, religious apocalyptic themes. Yeah. He's also 100% going to be talking about sex the whole time. Yeah. So he does this in a lot of songs where he will say one thing and mm-hmm. uh, it just means sex. Yeah. So, uh, like, more so than the first verse. The first verse I felt was, okay, very rooted in this mythology. He mentioned specific names. This one was a little more general. So I felt like it's much more obvious to pick out all of those little mm-hmm. sexual references that he makes in this whole song. When when I first heard the song, I did think when he said release, yeah, that that's uh, that could be that kind of release, yeah. Um, but then the next two lines kind of make me want to find something else to explain it to. Yeah. Because then he starts talking about that's found in the last witness before the wave hits, marveling at God. Oh, I guess actually that one could yeah. <laughs> actually. <laughs> He is the, the last witness. Hits. Yeah, before the wave hits. <laughs> There's only one Jesus. witness. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, that's uh, in my professional opinion. Yeah, it's, he's probably talking about sex. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of his music is like this. You yeah. find innuendo throughout the whole thing, so you can sit here like an English teacher and look up mythology and be like, yeah. okay, this story is this and this is this. You can also be like, that's sex, isn't it? And yeah. you're correct. For those of you who know Hosier from his famous song, Take Me to Church, you should really look at the lyrics of that song. You should really think about <laughs> what that means um, and wonder if it's actually talking about church. <laughs> yeah, maybe at some point we should do that song. Genuinely, I would have loved to, but I just felt like um, it would be better as a follow-up to this. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that one at some point. Oh, and he is actually going to... So he's released new music, and the yeah. reason I didn't do the song from his new album um, mm-hmm. is because I want to do that one, I think, once the whole thing comes out. Yeah. So he has uh, kind of hinted that it's about the... I think the Nine Circles of Hell or something like that, or... It's got to do with Dante's Inferno. Oh, okay. And so each song is going to be like from a circle of hell oh. or something. It's about a certain sin or something like that. So has he said like there's going to be nine songs? Like or? the first one, Eat Your Young. No, it's going to be like I think 18, 17 or something like that. Oh, okay. But I don't know yeah. how he's, I don't know the full like scope of it yet. Yeah. But uh, he said Eat Your Young, for instance, is about mm. gluttony. Okay. Which is, and you go through the lyrics of that, it's like really pairs up. Yeah. He has a very cool way of mixing these, like, religious themes with, like, innuendo and, um, like, basic human needs, which I think is, he's right. Like, it's all connected, isn't it? Mm -hmm. If you think about the seven deadly sins and what they all are, they're basic human needs. Yeah. And so it's just like, uh, like, let me, you're hungry. Yeah, it's overindulging in your needs, basically. It's overindulging in basic human needs, exactly. And so, uh... I think that, like, the way he ties those is just so beautifully done. that I'd like to do that album, like, once it comes out and I get the full scope of it. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. Is there a, um, if someone liked what we talked about here with Talk, is there some other song you would recommend? Um... Yeah. So I really liked From Eden, mm-hmm. which is another one that uses, like, religious mythos and everything to kind of give you, like, a deceptive look 
uh, it, it's from his first album, Hosier. Oh, so this is also a Hosier song. This is also a Hosier song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's sort of like a, more of a the snake and Eden kind of like a story. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a, from the point of view of a lover who's not maybe very, being very upfront. Mm-hmm. And it, there's a little bit more deception and, and intrigue in it, yeah. which I think is just always fun. It's so much more interesting than a basic love story. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, for me, if you really liked um, the other aspects of the song, especially what I talked about in the beginning here, if you liked um, how he brings in that looping guitar riff, um, how he's kind of structured a little bit more like a poem, um, the song I recommend, not by Hosier, it's by a band called Mumford & Sons. Uh, it's a very popular song, I'm sure you've heard it. It's called Little Lion Man. Um, came out, I want to say 2011, I think somewhere around there. But uh, it also has this same concept of this looping guitar riff with nice lyrics laid on top. Very simple instrumentation. I think it's a guitar, banjo, bass, and a bass drum. Yeah, they're the banjo band, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, the, the song is some, you know, something like... Something like that. And it just kind of loops over and over again. Um, so if you liked that aspect of the song, that's something I would check out. Little Nine Man by Mumford & Sons. Nice. Feel free to check out Hosier's past albums or his upcoming one uh he's releasing the song slowly but he started with eat your young Mm -hmm. and all things end and through me which all have interesting like lyrics to look through uh in general his music is very fun and driving uh and there's some slow songs too for people who like slow songs so yeah just check out hosier he's a he's a great artist if you haven't heard it before yeah, absolutely. And thank you for listening to Decomposition. Uh, we have new episodes every other Monday out on Spotify, Apple, and Google. We'll see you in the next one. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye.